In the following live session recording, Sandra Sarter, trainer and consultant with Opt for Success in Cleveland, Georgia, leads the session entitled Desktop Publishing, Connecting with Your Audience. This conference will lead participants in discovering the mechanics of publishing. The listener will learn about layout, design, text, and other components of publishing quality materials, as well as adding that something extra that will make people read your publications. Everything you produce, printed materials, PowerPoint presentations, websites, and social media should be considered a publication. Let's join Sandra now. Okay, you're here this morning to talk about desktop publishing. Um, we've got a lot to cover uh, in this time. If you have questions, I want you to ask them or comments. I say all the time to people that you learn more from each other than you do from me. Uh, I'm going to just try to, uh, to tell you what I know, but some of you know more about technology than I will ever know. So you may have the answer to some questions that uh, someone here in this room needs the answer to. And we want to try to cover that this morning if we can. Um, Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16 say, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share. That means to communicate with others. For with such sacrifice, God is pleased. And so uh, the ministry that you do through your publishing is certainly ordained by God. But 21st century communication requires both digital and printed items. We used to just talk about printed items, but it's a world of different things out there now. And we have the ability through desktop publishing to create things we used to never be able to do in a church office. And it's become a wonderful opportunity for us to not only print something, but to design something and really create things that are good. And um, when you create, I want you to remember that what you create, uh, you want to be able to use it in all the mediums, whether that be printed, whether it's on PowerPoint, whether it's on your website, anywhere you want it to be usable in all those mediums. But we know that today people are busy and we have probably one chance to catch their, their attention. And once we do, we've got to get to the point early and we have to do it fast. Well, first, in my opinion, we've got to let them know our identity. So I think it's important that anytime someone sees something that you've done, for your church or for your association that they they immediately can identify that it's yours. So that means that we need a logo uh, that is uh, something that will catch people's attention, that will draw them to your church, that will have a specific meaning to them because this is your PR piece, is your logo. And um, so everything you do needs to stand out in that way. So let's talk a little bit about the things that are required 
that will make that stand out to people. First, you need a typeface that it should reflect the nature of the church. Every church has its own personality. And so you want your logo and your printed materials to give your personality, at least I hope you do. And uh, so you want to keep all of that in mind. The typeface should be contemporary so that it is attractive and easy to read. The typeface should be clean, simple, and attractive. The logo should look good in black and white. Why? Why should your logo look good in black and white? Because not everything's in color. That's because most everything you're going to print, most everything you're going to put out, your logo is going to be seen in black and white. So it may look absolutely gorgeous uh, in a color, but then when it comes out in black and white, it may not be that way. So be very sure that it looks good in black and white. The church name should be an integral part of the design. The name of the church should be three times larger than the other elements. And your logo should reflect the era in which it is designed. So if you're using a logo that's 50 years old, you might want to go back and look at that and say, is it contemporary? Does it speak to today? Even if you did something 10 years ago, it might need some updating or changing now. There should be good contrast, making it stand out from the rest of the copy on the page. The illustration should be a familiar theme or truth of the faith. It should be quickly recognized. It should grab your attention. The graphic should tell something about the church. The graphic should be simple and straightforward. People shouldn't have to really work to figure out what it means. And the graphic should direct the eyes reader to the church name. I want, just want to show you our church's logo. Our church is Helen First Baptist Church. And I really liked the logo that whoever designed for our church. I don't know if it was one of our members or if we had a graphic designer. But what does this verse look like when you see it? An H. But when you look at it a little closer, what do you see? You see a one for first. What else do you see? You see a cross. I, I, I think that was pretty neat myself. It's really quite simple. Not a lot about it. The only thing that's wrong with our church logo is that is right down here. 
and that's that this is overkill. If you put something in italics, you do not need quotation marks. And that's, that is the thing to me that is wrong with our church. Now, we could make this more contemporary if we wanted to by changing our font here to a more contemporary font. And I suspect that one day that will come, that we will keep this part of the logo and change this. But I'm not in that group of planning in our church, so I'm just making a, an assumption there. Now, just just to kind of show you uh, some of the things that we're talking about, I was in um, Mississippi last year teaching uh, ministry assistants over there. I did not teach desktop publishing. Well, let me take that back. I did teach desktop publishing over there last year, and I was, and I shared this with them. And one of the ladies came to me, and she said, the name of our church is Holly Baptist Church because we live in Holly, Mississippi. And she said, you can't do anything with that. And I said, sure you can. And she said, no, what could you come up with with Holly? that would have anything to do with the church. And so we sat down and we sketched out a way to make the O a holly leaf. And we took the, um, in whatever you call the little things that are in leaves and stuff, those little stems, I know they've got a name, but we made it a cross in there. And it was just a very rough drawing. And uh, she, Took that home with her, and so this year she came running up to me first thing when I got there. She said, i got to show you something. I've got to show you our new logo. And they had sent that to a graphic designer, and they had turned that little sketch into one of the prettiest logos for the church using green as their color, and it just turned out very nice. Well, let me just tell you, and, and y'all can, just so y'all can understand some of the problems that you come up with, I had a ministry assistant that came up to me this year, and she showed me, if I'd have had the, I should have probably made a picture of it, but it was the name of their church over here, and it was a new design that they had come up with, and over here they had a block, and a block, and a block, and then... It looked kind of like a backwards L here. This was black, this was green, this was purple, and this was, I can't remember the color. But they had come up with, each of these colors stood for something, like one was for go, and one was for growth, and one was for something else. But none of that was written on there. It was just colored in. And she was very distressed, because she said, what does that say about our church? Well, technically, it doesn't say a thing. So the, it was very pretty, but it didn't say a thing. And I said, it just depends upon what your church is wanting, you know, as far as what they're wanting it to say. Uh, but if they're wanting people to know what these colored blocks means, then they would have to put a whole explanation down here. Well, you can't do that on a logo. So the only thing they could do would be to put the words go and the word growth and something else in that to, to make it work. Um, so she was very, frustra very frustrated. But what I'm, the reason I'm saying that to you is that it takes a lot of thought 
and a lot of planning to come up with a logo that works for your church. Once you come up with that though, that needs to be seen on everything you produce so that whatever anyone gets, whether it's a newsletter or they bring up your website, whatever they get, there's your logo and they can relate that to your church. Your signage in your church, your signage on your campus, all of that should have your logo, not just your name, but your logo so that it becomes, you know, the visual that people see. Now, there is an importance to looking good. I want you to think of the hundreds of pieces of mail that come to your home or come to your office even every week. We get them, don't we? I mean, there is no shortage of paper even though we're supposed to be a paperless society by now. What is the first thing that causes you to either keep or throw away all this paper that comes into your home, into your mailbox? The very first thing. There is one, you know. It looks like an advertisement. If it looks like an advertisement and you're not interested, okay, it goes. But what if you get things, maybe some of them uh, are important, and there might be something else that's not so important, but this one catches your eye quicker than the other one. Why is that? You recognize who it's from. Might be who it's from. I mean, but you recognize that. Something that catches my attention is whether or not it looks business-like. If, if I can tell that it's just... So number one is professional. It needs a professional look. But I want to tell you that you make a decision whether you realize it or not. It's all visual. If it looks good to you, then you're probably going to look at it. You're going to spend a minute. You're going to do it. Unless you automatically know it's an advertisement you've seen before and you're not interested in it, then you're going to trash it, of course. But the determination is made in a second by whether or not you like the way it looks. You like the way it feels. Uh, there's something about it. And then I think second, which follows very closely, is the professional look to it. Because for it to look that good, it's going to have to have a professional look. So, uh, the experts tell us that people are just more open to messages that are attractive and that are carefully composed. So how your church looks in print, and I call print anything, this uh, PowerPoint up here, uh, anything uh, that is seen visually is what people are looking at. So look at or think about it this time, at, at this particular time, and Ask yourself how many of the fallen attributes that I'm going to put up here that you know are in what you print. This is what readers like. This is what the experts tell us readers like. They like short words, short sentences, short paragraphs. Remember, people are busy. They like a paper that looks and feels good. 
They like a convenient size. They like bulleted lists. They like plenty of white space. They like clear, concise language. They like attractive graphics. They like a logical organization of information. They like headlines that make articles easy to skim. That's what they like, and that's what we need to give them. Now, desktop publishing has made it possible for any computer user to do what previously only typesetters could do. Even a person with little experience can turn out a wide variety of documents, from letters to brochures to newsletters to PowerPoint. The options are limited only by our imagination. But going from a typewriter to a computer has changed many of the rules, and so I want to go over some of the most important ones that we need to keep in mind that have changed from the days of typewriters to the days of computers. We use one space, not two, after punctuation. Now, when I first started, every typist knew that two spaces went after periods, question marks, exclamation marks, any of those closing uh, punctuation. On a typewriter, that was true. On a computer, no, because computer type is proportional like typesetting, and so it will close up the spaces and do what needs to be done. Typewriters could not do that. Everything had a space, you know, and so a T took the same space as an A, but they weren't anywhere close to the same size. So there was a lot of white space left in there. Uh, and so that's the thing you have to look at there. Use real quotation marks and apostrophes. Unlike typing, word processing provides you with these marks. And the straight marks that you have are used only for me measuring feet and inches. So unless you are using a font where everything is sans serif, when you get the straight lines, these right here, well, I'm actually doing it as slant, straight lines, like this, people should never see those unless you're referring to feet or inches. Everything else should be an apostrophe, which is either going to look like this, a nine, or like this, a six. Okay? A contemporary type will, will not look exactly that way, but it will have a slant to it. I think I've got them up here, and I drew them right there, so. But that's the way they should look. And then we need to use the appropriate typefaces. Now, the two most important typefaces for desktop publishing are serif and sans serif. 
Everybody know the difference between serif and sans serif, or do I need to take a minute? Okay. Serif type is, um, it's called feet. You don't see it, I don't see it, but the eye sees it. At the top of every one of these little things, at where it ends, there is what's called a foot. It's a minute, tiny, tiny thing, a pixel or whatever we might want to call it, that's on the tip of those things that causes one letter to, to join the next letter so that when the eye sees it, it brings all the letters together and makes a word. And so you automatically see not a letter, but a word. Sans serif does not have any of that. It's very free of it. In any font you use, I just put some examples in there to show you uh, some of the things that are sans serif, some of the things that are serif, but you'll be able to tell the difference. This is a cleaner look. It leaves a lot more space. It's very nice, but it doesn't have the feet, and so the eye has to go S-A-N-S -S instead of sans. Now, you don't realize that's happening. It's just, a, it's just what happens with the eyes. All of this, of course, is taking, you know, not even a second of time, but it is easier on your eyes to have serif a serif type. So if you are going to be typing a letter or a body of text in a newsletter, which is going to be the best to use for the body? The serif type. Now when you start getting into headlines, okay, something like this, where there are very few words, it works beautifully to have that clean contemporary feel to it. But for an entire letter, it is very hard. Um, I have a difficult time. I have glasses. Uh, so many things now are being typed in a sans serif type. And I can't read for as long a period of time as I used to. I have to put it away for a while because it tires my eyes. Um, and people are using it because, yes, it does look great. It looks beautiful. It's just hard to read. Tips for using your type styles. Use type style consistently. When you are typing uh, like a newsletter and you're doing several articles, don't keep changing type styles. If you decide to use Times New Roman for your body type, you use uh, Times New Roman in all of your body type. If you use... Uh, Arial for your headlines, you need to use Arial for all of your headlines, unless it's something that you particularly want to stand out. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. Keep your headlines, subheads, and text the same size throughout your publications. And as I've just told you, a serif typeface is good for body text. A sans serif type face works well with headlines. Now, 
it is okay to use calligraphy for announcements and invitations. It is not okay to use it for body text. It looks nice when it's centered. It gives a, a uh, for invitations, that type of thing, it really looks nice. But never type your calligraphy in all caps. It is absolutely just incredibly hard to read. And then avoid using all caps. When using a typewriter, we had two ways to make things stand out. We could type it in all, uh, all caps or we could underline it. We've got too many other options now to do that because uh, reading in all caps is just very hard. I just gave you a little example there and just reading that short little piece of type is just n not fun to do. We can go in and we can do bold. We can uh, change the size. We can use italics. We can even change the typeface if we want something to stand out. But stay away from all caps. Then use proper dashes. Updated software is helping to eliminate the incorrect double hyphen. Now, we talked about it last night in, in our uh, English, or our grammar class, about the, the double hyphen. This right here should never ever be seen in anything you prepare. I'm talking never, okay? It is totally incorrect. You want to use proper dashes. And uh, if you were in my class last night, you've already heard it, but you're going to have to hear it again. We have, we have what we call an in-dash. It is called an in-dash because no matter what font you put it in, it will be the width of a lowercase in. Okay? And so it's called an in-dash. And it looks something like this. Now the difference between it and a hyphen is that. Okay? An in-dash is used to show completion or from to, like chapter 10 through chapter 20, May through December, those type things. That's when you use an in-dash. Then there is the M-dash. And it's called an in-dash because in any font, it is the same width as the letter M. Okay? So, uh, you have the in-dash, which is used when you want to be more emphatic than, uh, or show more emphasis than a comma would give. In other words, you replace it. You replace a comma sometimes with an M dash. It makes things stand out. Now, how do you do these in your, com in your computer? Well, there are a whole lot of ways you can do it. I'm going to show you the lazy way and uh, the simple way without having to do a hotkey or any of that type of thing. When you are typing and you want an N dash, you go last letter, space, hyphen, hyphen, space, and first letter. And your computer goes, oh, she wants an in-dash, and does that. 
Would you say that over again? Last letter? Oh, that's an L. First letter. Last letter? Space. Hyphen, hyphen, space. First letter. Now, it's not going to do that until you finally come to a space somewhere. So don't panic if it doesn't do anything. Because like if you finish spelling this word and then a space, then it's going to come back and do it. Okay? M dash. Last letter, hyphen, hyphen, first letter. And it says, oh, she wants an M dash. Now, if you mess up on either side, you're going to have to start over from the beginning. But after a while, it just becomes second nature to you. Now, how do you know that you haven't done it the way you thought you did if you get back and you see it? Well, you see this. And you need to go back and take that out. Don't ever let two hyphens be seen in your printing. I put them up there, but I can't help but draw them any other time. But do you see the difference in the width of them? Don't underline. Underlining places the line too close to the type. Uh, it is very rare for underlining not to cut through a descender somewhere. In this particular one, it does not. But if I wanted to write the word large and I underlined it, it's going to do this. What happens to the G? I cut it in two. And the I automatically goes, what has she done? Okay? And it has to adjust to that. Again, you don't know it's doing that, but it does it. And so you need to, to just totally get away from underlining. Again, we've got too many other options. Using hyphens correctly. And I've already shown you the, the, the difference in the hyphens. But now I'm talking about using the hyphen correctly. We know that hyphens are used to do what? To divide words by syllables. Now that's why we use the hyphen. Your computer isn't as smart as you are, okay? Some geek somewhere just said if she gets to the end of the line and uh, we're going to type it all the way to the end of the line and then we're going to put a hyphen in and bring the rest of it down to the next line. So if you're not careful, you'll get something like you see in your handout. All young people interested in stud, well, that'll stop you. Int loans. Well, we know that that's not the proper way to divide the word student, is it? It's S-T-U hyphen D-E-N-T. But your computer doesn't know that. It just finishes it out. Now, to me, 
The very best way to never have to worry about that is change your default so that it will not hyphenate at the end of the line. I would rather never hyphenate at the end of the line than be caught with something like that. Express time correctly. When using AM and PM in computer-generated text, use small caps AM and PM. Uh, you can see the difference in your handout. If a time such as 10 a.m. appears by itself in an article, zeros need not be used. If times are in list and some are not on the hour, then you add the zeros. You align the times with the colons aligned, not trying to align the numbers. You'll never make it. Align to the colons and use a right align tab, not spaces, for doing that. Y'all see the example there? Avoid widows and orphans. Okay, I know the Bible says we're supposed to take care of our widows and our or orphans. Well, we are going to, but we're going to avoid them is the way we're going to take care of them. Okay, a widow is less than seven characters left on the last line of a paragraph. You see this? Right down here. It's just hanging there by itself. An orphan is the last line of a paragraph being carried to the top of a new page or a new column. There it is, hanging right out there, that little orphan. Okay, You don't want to do that uh, in your, in, in your uh, documents. So, when you have this problem, you need to look at it and go back, and there's some changes that you can make to correct that. You can either try rewriting it. Sometimes even the slightest revision will take care of it. Or you could adjust the margins just a little. You just go into page layout and, and uh, adjust your margin. Or perhaps you can change the type size just a little. For instance, if you are using a size 12 font, if you move it down to an 11, it will, it will not be noticeable. Now, if you do it to a 10, yes, an 11, and that might take care of your problem. Letter spacing can also be adjusted in some applications. And you can also put in the point five, 11.5. And 11.5, correct. It won't allow you to do it automatically with the arrows, but you can put it in. So... The newsletter and worship guides can be the most powerful written communication tools that you produce. How many of you are still doing newsletters and worship guides? How many of you are doing newsletters first? How many of you are doing worship guides? Okay. Uh, many churches have done away with this and it's simply uh, online. But you still need to think of the same thing. Things, even if you're doing them online, it, there are certain things that you need to take just as if you were putting it on a piece of paper. But we're going to talk about those who still produce a newsletter on paper. Uh, what size and format should you use? Well, either legal or ledger size are now the most popular. One or two folds are normally used. 
but you try not to exceed two sheets of folded paper. Should you use color paper? If so, what color? Well, if you're going to use color, choose one pleasing combination and stay with it. Don't change it every week. Remember, we're trying to set a visual uh, communication method with you and your public or whoever you're doing this with. So you create that identity for your paper. Use soft pastels or neutrals. And remember, folks, you can never, ever miss by sticking to black and white. I mean, it's, it's still the easiest for people to read. If you use colored ink, be sure it is sharp, dark, and clear. Otherwise, it's not going to show up on your paper. And then be sure that your paper is opaque, which means that you can't see through it. You can't see the type on the other side. That will require at least a 24-pound paper. Don't go under 24 pounds. Visual appeal begins with the newsletter nameplate. It needs to be strong, unique name. How many of you actually have a name for your newsletter? Okay, good. It needs to be crisp, concise, and professional. The name of the newsletter is in large print. The name of the church is in smaller print. You want simple artwork. And it should cover no more than one-fourth to one-third of the front page. And why is that? <coughs> why don't we just put the whole thing on the front page? Nice, beautiful piece of artwork, name, all of that. Why do we leave space to put an article on the front page? Okay, listen up and I'll tell you. Visual appeal continues with the copy. Make it easy to read. Make narrow columns 40 to 45 characters wide. Gutter at least one quarter inch. The wider the column, the wider the gutter. Don't use all caps or italics. Line space between paragraphs. Your, your print inside your newsletter is much better if you get it to single space printing and then double spacing or space and a half or line and a half, two lines or line and a half between your paragraphs. It looks better, it reads better. Don't use more than three type styles in body of articles and one is best. Let me give you some figures you may not know. Out of 100 people that receive your newsletter, 20% won't read it. 
80% will read level one, which is the headline, subheads, pictures, and captions. 10 to 60% will read level two, which is short sections of copy, boxed copy, graphs, and captions. And 1 to 10% will read level 3, which is your body copy. So you ask yourself, well, why am I going to this much trouble? You are doing this for the 1 to 10% who are faithful readers of the newsletter and are wanting to, to find out what's going on at their church. Let's look at level 1, though. Headlines are very important to your articles. What percentage did we say would read them? 80% are going to read your headlines. So be specific. Make a complete statement with the subject and the verb. Don't use labels like youth news or choir notes. Don't leave prepositions or conjunctions dangling at the end of a line. And don't be afraid of a two-line headline if it's necessary. It's okay. Be consistent with styles. Don't jump all over the place with you know, um, I'm just trying to think of some of the different styles there with Times New Roman here and some other wild thing over here. I mean, just it gets really busy. First letter of each word should be capitalized. But we use a down style. That's a sentence with no period. This is for headlines only now that I'm saying this, but no periods. And I just gave you some examples there for you to kind of look at uh, for headlines. Uh, the difference between a label and a headline. Now sometimes you need subtitles or subheads to explain the article because everyone may not be familiar with what that headline is about. So when you use subheads, label your sections of text like an outline. You see it in the newspapers all the time. Copy that style. Make subheads one size larger than the text below. You may even want to use a bow face type. You can either use the same typeface as the text below or you can use a contrasting type. But make them flush left whether or not the text below is indented. And I thought I'd just kind of give you an example of what I'm talking about, about a subhead. <clears throat> this was in our newsletter, Art Aiding Veterans. Does that tell me anything? I don't know if I'd have read that article or not, but they give me a subhead down here and says, Helen Arts and Heritage Center to resume free art classes for former military. There's a subhead down there that tells me what it's about. So, just so you'll understand what a subhead is and why we use it. Level 2, 
What percentage did we say would read level two? 10 to 60%. In level two, we use short sections of body copy by cutting up the article in bite-sized people, but people, pieces. <laughs> Let's eat these people, folks. Place information inside boxes or sidebars. Boxed text adds visual interest. Now, having said that, let me say this. Please don't put everything in boxes, okay? Because then nobody really cares what's inside the box. Just because I tell you to use them doesn't mean I want you to use them for every article you write. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Use bulleted lists. Use charts, tables, and diagrams, but never without a caption. Don't use a photo without a caption. Now, people always look at the pictures on the pages. That's what they're going to look at. But they need to know who they're looking at. You know, not everybody knows that person. So, uh, be sure that you caption them. Level 3. Level 3 is the body text. What percentage is going to read that? 1 to 10. And yet we must give this as much attention as the others. There are three writing styles for body text. So I want us to just talk about them for a few minutes. So we've got the reporting style. The reporting style is the five W's. What are the five W's? Who, what, who, what when, where, and why. That's all we're telling them. Who, what, where, when, and why. We're just not, we're not putting anything extra stuff in there. We're just giving them the necessary information. Then you have the feature. With the feature article, you use a catchy opening. It's something personable. It's something that you're wanting to draw people into that particular article. Then we have the display. And the display is like an ad. It's a graphic with facts. It probably will be box for emphasis. Use them carefully. But just so you'll know what I'm talking about, you see a reporting one, there as an example, orientation meeting plan, and then you see a display. Now, you will see, I gave you two of those, but now I want you to see a feature one, and I've X'd out things because I didn't know whether I had the right to use people's names or not. But this was in our Christian Index, and some of y'all may have read it. This was like one, sometime last year, I howled over this article. It was wonderful. It had a picture of uh, an evangelist here in the state of Georgia, and it says underneath, falsely indicted for snake handling. Am I going to read that article or not? You bet I'm going to read that article. Okay? And so, it turns out that this evangelist was down in Fort Gaines and uh, he took his RV camper down there and camped in a campsite and one morning he's getting up getting dressed and he pulls on his pants and there's a snake in the leg of his pants. And it, <laughs> it was the funniest article ever. But it was just, it was kind of fun to see that in the Christian Index uh, because this, 
dedicated evangelist just uh, finally got rid of the snake and he kept preaching all week. I'd have loaded up my stuff and gone back to somewhere else. But uh, it told about how his wife had to grab a, a knife out of the drawer and it wrapped around his arm when he tried to get it around. I mean, it was a funny story. But that, I wanted you to understand that these are the type of headlines that will get you into an article. I mean, what did I think I was going to find there? My first thing was that, you know, I thought I was thought it was for real at first. I thought this is just really a shame. But then it turned out to be just a cute, fun article to read. And every now and then, it's nice to put something like that in your newsletter. Let's talk a little bit about the pastors column. It is read by more church members than any other piece. It does not need to be on the front page, okay? I'm going to tell you why you go back and tell your pastor that. People will look for it. They may not look for anything else, but they will look for it. So you use it to get people inside the newsletter. It will be more widely read if it's limited to one column, 250 to 275 words, and not more than two columns. Break up type by setting key phrase in a box or bold print using a list or a pull-out quotes. I'm going to show you some examples in just a little bit. Line space again between paragraphs. So why do we leave that space on the front page of the newsletter? Well, one good reason is you can come right over here and do a sidebar and start the pastor's column. And then down at the bottom you say, continued inside. Okay, so you've, you've kind of got the, you know, the juices flowing to get them. And then over on the rest of it, what is your key emphasis that week or maybe that month that you're really honing in? Do a nice graphic, a nice big ad. Remember the display. Do a nice big, big display over here, but don't give enough information for them to really know all about it. Again, do more info inside. That's the reason you leave some space on the front page. Use it to get people inside the newsletter. That's that's the drawing card. Let them start reading something, but you got to finish it. That's what our newspapers do. Why do you have to go continued on page 10B? Sometimes my newspaper puts it in a totally different section. So I thought, well, boy, they must be having a problem. Somebody's told them they're not reading the sports section or the, you know, mountain life section because they're going to continue it over there. But that's the reason they do it is to get people inside the newsletter, newspaper. Do use their method. To justify or not to justify. Justified right margin where everything ends on the right side in the column. It's very formal. It's very professional, it's very dignified, and it's very aggravating. Uh, it is not necessary in a newsletter, okay? Left justified or the ragged right is more informal, it's more lively, it is warm, it is interesting. 
but whichever one you want to use is fine. Just understand that when you write justify, you're leaving blocks of spaces in your sentences that break up your thought pattern, okay? And you would never use full justify. I wouldn't unless I was doing something very, very formal. And then when you use it, you've got to go back into each sentence and you've got to change that spacing because what your computer does is, oh, she needs six more spaces. Let's put it right here. Well, you don't want six spaces there, so you got to come in and put a space between each, you know, to make it look right. I stay away from it absolutely as much as possible, so... Centered text. Centered text is great for announcements, invitations, or short sections of text in advertisements or flyers. But I would not use it just in regular column text. Placement of articles. Put most important item on the front page. Keep regular articles and columns in the same place each week for a period of time. Don't change it each week, but people do become familiar with it. So after a month, a several months or maybe a year, change it around a little bit. Let them have to hunt for it somewhere else. People get in a rut, and we get in a rut with them. So every now and then, it doesn't hurt to kind of change it. But if you do it every week, that's too much. Uh, they, they don't like that. Clip art and boxes. Use only two to three pieces per page. Don't clutter with too much clip art or too many boxes. To call attention to an activity, put a box or a border around it. Now, borders don't necessarily mean boxes, and that's why I want y'all to understand. A border could be just something at the top and something at the bottom and open on the sides, or something that on each side and open at the top and the bottom. Don't put everything in boxes, which is everything around it. Leave white space around it. You need white space. Don't use color backgrounds with reverse printing unless you are using a small box. An entire newsletter or bulletin done with color background is a severe waste of toner and ink, folks. And, and I've had people say, well, it doesn't cost any more than anything else. Yes, it does. I don't know who has got that out there. Color toner is always more expensive than black. And you don't get a payback for it. You just don't. And done week after week, it becomes just as humdrum as black words on white paper. It does. Reverse printing is harder to read. Can I just give you some examples here? And I hate to do this. I don't get news. I, I need for y'all to understand that I am not using this to be critical of my church. But I don't get newsletters from other churches anymore like I used to. And so I kind of have to hone in to what I can find for an example. Our church has fallen into this humdrum reverse printing background. Do you know what our church members feel about this? They hate it. Because it's just too busy. 
and they don't want to read it. How easy is that to read? It's not. It is not. And then ev almost everything else is in some kind of box. And to top everything off, off every box is reverse print. There's the rest of it. It just gets to be as humdrum as black print. But just to show you that my church is not the only guilty party of this, Reader's Digest is my very favorite go-to for how to do graphics and how to do design. They are so wonderful. But this shows you that even they can make a dreadful mistake. This is the most horrible thing. This is just eerie looking, number one. And if y'all can tell me what that says, you've got great eyes. I had to study that and study that. But it just looks, do y'all want me to tell you what it looks like? It's just really morbid to me. It looks like this man is in a casket. That was my first thought when I, I thought, he's laying in a casket and they've got all these flowers around him and the only thing it's showing is his head. Be careful about that type of thing. Copy for the newsletter. Use short sentences, 15 to 20 words. Use short paragraphs. Eight to ten column lines. Articles should be no longer than one full column. The shorter the article, the better. Don't type the full width of the page. If you're using an eight and a half by eleven page, you need at least two or three columns across that page. Now, just to show you, so you'll understand what I'm talking about. When we, when we type, I can't, I'm going to put that on. When we do a newsletter, okay, you open this up, and you may think there are only two pages here. My friends, there are six pages here. This is a trifold, and there are six pages. This is a page, this is a page, this is a page. This is a page, this is a page, and this is a page. Now, just because you open it up and look at it all in one page, you are still looking at three different pages. So when you start trying to merge some of it into two pages and some of it not into two pages and, and all of this, it gets really tough because you're trying to, your eyes are just trying to do really weird things. So be careful with that type of thing. Uh, if the article is too long, leave space between paragraphs to break up the article. Use bullets for information if possible. Use headings and subheadings to break things up. Remember that the reader's eye begins in the top left quadrant. So when I am reading this, where do I start? That's the reason we normally put the pastor's column in the top left quadrant. Well, that's not the right place to put the pastor's column because everybody's looking at that one to start with. Where would you want to put the pastor's column? 
maybe try on the right hand side to bring them over there. You see, use some tricks to draw them where you want them. Place artwork at right or lower right to draw attention to that article. Don't split typed copy with artwork, causing the reader's eye to have to jump over the design and continue reading. I want to show you a few things you can do that I haven't mentioned uh, and, and, and how they can emphasize things. And, and those things are pullouts, first letter emphasis, and sidebars. Here's a first letter emphasis. You see, you make the letter large, extremely large, and then do the rest of your article. Now, you wouldn't do that with every article in your newsletter, but try one occasionally and see what it works. Here's your pullouts. Again, uh, Reader's Digest is the best at using pullouts. It breaks all these columns and uh, draws your eye into probably like you could if you use the pastor's column and, and put it in two columns. Then one of the things that he felt like was the highlight of that article, you could put it in a pullout. Okay? Um, here we've got the sidebars. This tells you everything that you're going to find on this page. Okay? Now, I don't necessarily like that page, but it's a good sidebar for what is on stage. That came from this book right here. Folks, pick up things and, and look at them and, and read them and get ideas. This, I get... I got this one at the Tennessee Welcome Center, okay? It's a great thing that showed me a lot of different new ways of doing some things in here. A lot of things wrong with it, a lot of things right. Find the things that are right. Use things. This card came in the mail. I can't use this. I can't run this through my computer. It's copyrighted. Stay away from stuff like that. But I can use the idea. I can get a graphic of flowers, for goodness sakes, or make my own picture if I decide, and then put the, you know, put the lettering over it. It was a good idea. You find something like this, put it in a folder for when something comes up. You go, oh, I remember I saved something on that. Um... I got this in the mail, and it was just perfect timing. This came in the mail, and I was doing something for a special, an, a special event, and I went, oh my gracious, that is wonderful. Well, I can't use that, but I guarantee you, I found, I found the graphic, and it wasn't exactly like this, but I was, but it was pretty close. This is the envelope that it came in. Um, if I got something else here. Those are the type things that 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 I'm that I want you to, to think about and use. Overlay. Uh, I love overlay. Um, if you're really good with computers, then you can do wonderful things. And let me just take a minute to say Canva, C-A-N-V-A, C-A-N-V-A, it's free. Okay. Man, you can do whatever. I mean, you can become a true graphic designer. So, uh, let me recommend Canva to you. Okay. C-A-N-V as in van, A. 
Okay. Uh, most people need to be told something at least six times. <laughs> and they need to be told it in six different ways. Okay? So, if you put something in your newsletter and you put it in your six times, okay, well, that's good, except if you use the same thing all six times. At least by the time you put it in the third time, they are paying no attention to it. You got to change it. Start off little, get smaller, add a graphic, change the print, something, draw their attention to it. And you can do that without doing away with. I mean, some things have a certain logo or something you have to use, but you can still do something to draw it in. But every week, let it take on a little bit different look. And for goodness sakes, put it in a different place in the newsletter, not in the same place, okay? Add information and increase the size each week. Put in the larger ad one to two weeks before the event. So the big you know, let them have it, is one to two weeks before you do it. Remember that photographs add impact. Use black and white glossy prints with sharp contrast. Photos should tell a story. Fill the picture with people. But now remember, if you fill it with 40 people, when you put that in, you're not going to see a person. When I say fill it with people, use only about four or five people. Caption all pictures adequately and identify people. Put a hairline box around the photo. Are there a lot of other options to use? There are so many different ways you can use your photos. Let me show you some examples of what I uh, am talking about here. We all know who Billy Graham is. Okay, I get that. But even if it's Billy Graham, there may be somebody out there that gets your newsletter that really doesn't know who Billy Graham is. Maybe they've been born somewhere besides here. Anyway, here's the best way to do your captions. Why waste space down here to say Billy Graham? Put it inside the picture. That's when you can use your reverse printing. You know, just make it where it'll show up. My number one all-time favorite right here. This is it, folks. You don't get any better than this one. Uh, whoever designed this, they were great. I love the shadow that comes around uh, Martin Luther King. But look at this. He's wearing a black suit. In a black and white picture, it's nothing. It's blah. Put your title right there in his suit where it just... Full. And here's your subhead right here. This is a beautiful example of some things that you can do right there. You're saving space and you're making a beautiful photograph, a beautiful uh, uh, for your article, that type of thing. Okay. I'm going over, and I don't know why, but I should have been finished by now. So, can y'all bear with me, or you just want me to tell you the blanks? 
um, your worship bulletin. It's a guide to the worship experience. It is a public relations tool. I want you to remember it's the piece people see the first time for your church. It creates a first impression. It is usually the first printed piece a visitor receives. It conveys the personality and ministry of your church. And visitors will read every line. What is the appearance of your worship bulletin and guide? It should be warm, inviting, and appealing. It should be neat and uncluttered. It should make effective use of white space. The order of worship should be easy to follow. The print should be clear, sharp, and clean. It should be carefully proofread. The fold should be straight. Now you may laugh at that, but I'm telling you, that is very important. There should be minimal use of clip art. It is not a coloring book. And the cover should be attractive. And I just, the, the, the contents of your worship bulletin, you can read that. There's no need in my going over it, but it just gives you some ideas on some things. Posters and flyers. They are different from newsletters. They allow you to be um, more extravagant with your creativity because they're used to promote special events. Use an eye-catching design and color. Use fewer but attention-getting words. And this is basically how you do a poster. You write out what it is that you're trying to say, and then you start taking out all the unnecessary words until you get to just what is necessary, and then you get creative. Use bold colors. Use interesting lettering, graphics, and borders. But don't get carried away with all of that and forget that it still needs to be grammatically correct. It needs to be uh, punctuated correctly. All of those things need to play into it. Uh, you can be creative, but it doesn't mean throw away the rules. Okay? Uh, church information packet. Uh, I gave you the information there. If I... That is still one of those things that if there's anything in your church that needs to be 100% professional in its look, it is your packet, your church information packet. And if you don't feel like you have the equipment uh, to do it, then put that out to a professional to do for you. Uh, and, and just let me quickly... <coughs> 
because we're running late, but I wanted to show you just so you'll get an idea about things. On brochures, on brochures, you usually are trying to put a lot of information in a little bit of space. Now this is where I want to tell you that sometimes it may look cluttered, it may seem to be too much information, but if somebody gets a brochure, the main thing they want is the information they need. I want you to keep that in your brain. They want the information they need. One of the very best creations to me, my husband is on the uh, fair board for Gwinnett County, and so we um, know about the fairs in Georgia. The best brochure of that I've seen, where it just happens to be the fair, is this North Georgia Fair uh, brochure that they give out to people who come to the fair. Okay, now a lot of people will say, well, everybody's got a phone, they can put it on their phone. Well, if you're walking through a fairground or you're walking through some other place, even like upstairs if you're walking through vendors and you're looking for certain things, if it was really huge, a museum or something like that, you want the information, don't you? Right at your fingertips. This, the, whoever designs this is just, I just love them and don't know who they are. But they've got the, the fairground map that tells you where all the, the rides are, all of the amusements and stuff. It's got a map that tells you how you can put it into your phone and, get, and find them. It tells you every entertainer that's going to be there every day of the week with their picture and everything. It has, everything is color-coded, you know, it's done by code. This is a tremendous little brochure right here, a ton of information. And the thing is, is that the size is perfect. You guys, put it in your back pocket, you pull it out, you got it. Ladies, you can stick it in your, you can put it in your pocket too if you want to, but you can put it in your handbag or whatever, pull it out, it's easy to carry, look at and see. To show you the difference, Here's the one that uh, the Chattahoochee Mountain Fair up where we live does. Has the same information. Got it all here just like this one. But this is what they did. They put it all like this. They gave all of their sponsors, you know, think, okay, that's sweet and that's nice, but you gonna walk around the fairground like this? No, of course not. These are the things I want you to think about when you're producing uh, that what is the size and what is the information you want to put in it and what's the best way you can get it in there. And then finally, be sure to check the details of your printing. Now I have newsletter in your handout, but this is anything you print really. Double check names, facts, dates, and page numbers, okay? I told you I was in Mississippi. The lady that works with the ministry assistants there, top notch, absolutely top notch. She had created everybody's little name tags there with their schedule for the week. But just to prove to you that anybody can make a mistake, the, it started on Tuesday. Well, just out of habit, what did she put? Monday. Monday. And of course, some of those truly nice ministry assistants over there felt like it was their duty to point it out. So she got it pointed out to her by probably 50, 60 women. You know, uh-uh. We all make mistakes. But that's the reason you have to double check 
names, facts, dates, and page numbers. Use a consistent style. You need a style manual. Okay, I meant to bring it, but I left it at home. But this is what all of you need. It is the Greg Reference Manual. 11th edition. Okay? Anything you could ever think of, almost, is in there. Now, there'll be some church stuff that's not going to be in there. For that, you need to get a church manual. And right now, I cannot even think of the name of the one I use, so I apologize for that. But <clears throat> the Greg Reference Manual... You need that, and you need to refer to it. You can, you can buy them online. You can't get them at the bookstores anymore. You used to could go to, like, Books of Millions and stuff like that. You'll have to get it online now. Okay. Hyphenate carefully and correctly. And, folks, I can't emphasize enough, proofread meticulously. And you can proofread it to death, and I'll guarantee you there's a chance that you're going to miss something. And that's the reason I say to ministry assistants that if you have a person in your life, whether they're at your church or your office or whether it's somebody at your home, get somebody else to proofread it. But get somebody that is just, you know, Really, they don't, they're not worried about protecting your feelings or anything else. They're just proofreading it for you. And uh, let them look at it. If you can't do that, then go away from it for two or three hours and come back to it and proofread it. And even if it's something that's going to be on a digital screen, print it out on a piece of paper, just like you print out your newsletter, and lay it down on the table and read it like that, and that's when it will knock you in the face. You just, it's funny how we miss things on the screen, okay? So, proofread meticulously. Any questions, <coughs> any comments? Anything I didn't answer you wanted specifically here? I kept you late. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.